Hey, how's it going everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to Lucky Episode Number 13 of the Essential X Labs, where I come to you as always from the very squeaky chair sat before my very creaky little card table I've got folded, or unfolded I should say, in the uh, room I currently occupy, which I have yet to completely move into just yet. Uh, boy, you know, some days it feels like we're just never, ever going to be settled here, and I will, I will never have a a permanent desk that won't shake, rattle, and uh, squeak. But enough of my problems here. Let's get into some problems that the X-Men might run into. This is X-Men number 9, January 1965 cover date, so we are in 1965 now, or at least cover dated. Uh, the story is called Enter the Avengers. Written and edited by Stan Lee, pencils Jack Kirby, inks Chick Stone, letters S. Rosen, colors... Well, we don't need no stinking colors, right? Uh, but in honesty, if anybody knows who's coloring these things, they are uncredited. Please, let me know so I can maybe give them a little bit of credit here. Uh, cover price, 12 cents. And uh, this is a relatively iconic early cover here. You'll recognize it if you see it, I'm sure. Here we've got a cross-section where we got the X-Men battling the Avengers on the surface. And then below the surface, we got Professor X in a weird, like, tready tank wheelchair... Pointing a gun at, uh, well, this new character, a new evil character here called Lucifer. And his model appears to change by the panel here. Lucifer is, uh, very bizarre looking. I mean, if you were to look at this cover, you might mistake him in passing for, like, a miscolored Doctor Doom. But inside the book, you might think you're looking at a sort of kind of Magneto-alike. So, uh... Not the greatest design from old King Kirby here, must say. Um, now, oddly, this issue actually received one of those milestone reprints. You remember those reprints we got in the 90s that had, like, the silver border around them, right? This one got one of those, and I can only imagine we got that because... I mean, this issue gives us a little bit more about Professor X's origin, right? Um, probably, the reprint probably had very little to do with the fact that, you know, we had a clash with the Avengers here because... Back in the early 90s, back in the mid-90s even, people didn't really care about the Avengers. And uh, I tell you, I miss those days. Um, now anyway, let's crack this sucker open. We're going to skip, you know, our customary Silver Age spoilery splash page, as we usually do here, since it usually takes place somewhere in the middle of the book, you know. It's just something to get us in there hot. We're going to skip it. And we're going to start at the beginning, where we find ourselves on a large cruise liner traveling east across the Atlantic Ocean. Suddenly, a fog lifts, and the crew realizes that they're just about to crash directly into an iceberg. Hopefully, their, uh, their hearts will go on. And uh, I think that's a movie reference. I mean, look at me being sort of kind of relevant here a quarter century later, citing the soundtrack from a movie I never saw. That's what you get from, uh, from old Chris here. Anyway, it would appear that all hope is lost. The captain instructs the crew to brace for impact because there is no avoiding this thing. But then, Zark, a pair of red beams pulverize the berg, saving the ship and everyone on it. Well, how in the hell can this be? Well, naturally, our feareds and hateds are on board. On the deck, Cyclops drops to the floor, completely exhausted from going full blasty on the berg. Warren rushes to his side and helps him back to their quarters. Seeing this, uh, an old couple comments that, you know, kids these days just don't have the stomach for a boat ride, thinking Scott is just a... A weakling. Now, inside the cabin, Iceman is producing some bobby cubes to uh, cool Scott's sweaty brow. And that sounds like it could be the start of an erotic fanfic. 
Anyway, uh, Jean uses her TK to hold the cubes near Scott's dome, which was apparently exactly what he needed. Beast then uh, bounces over with an adorable little kettle of iced tea for the boss man. Now at this point, Scott finally tells them why they're on this boat, and why they're headed toward Europe. I mean, about time, right? I mean, shouldn't the gang have asked for a little bit more info before packing their bags and, you know, boarding the ship? I don't know. Whatever the case, Scott informs them that Professor X had contacted him with a European mission. Just then, old Charlie X pops back into Scotty's mind to give further instruction. You see, he's still in that deep cave in the heart of the Balkans in search of Lucifer, just like we saw him last issue. Now, we learn here that Lucifer was responsible for Xavier not being able to use his legs anymore, despite the fact that he originally told us that it was a childhood injury. So I guess that's just another of the many lies for the Professor X lie pile. He tells Scott that, should he perish in this confrontation, he will need the X-Men to carry on, and also to take Lucifer out for him. He transmits the location to the kids before finding himself on a crazy slide, which sends him even deeper into the Earth. Where, a short distance away, Lucifer plots. He releases a, uh, an artificial dust devil. Now, if you live in a desert-like environment like I do, you'll know what a dust devil is, and it's basically a sandstorm, and uh, they really, really suck to drive through. Like, they really really suck to drive through. They're scary as hell to drive through. If you know, you know. <laughs> They're not fun at all. So, he releases Dust Devil. It goes up the ramp here. It catches up to Xavier and whisks him right into Lucifer's lair here. They face off with the baddie vowing to finish the job that he began all those years ago. Xavier then draws a pistol and fires at Lucifer, narrowly missing him. He calls Lucifer a murderer, which I suppose we'll have to take his word for, um, Lucifer warns Xavier not to harm him, as if he were to perish here, well, hmm, the entire world will be doomed. And, and I guess that Xavier never took that vow never to do harm like the, uh, the rest of his X-Men did. Maybe, maybe Xavier is working under the X-Force protocol, even this early on in the run. But we'll get back to this in a bit. At that very moment above ground, the X-Men admire the beauty of the Balkan village, and the kids chat, and Cyclops awaits orders. But then, nearby, the Avengers show up. Now, our Avengers roll call is Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, Giant Man, and the Wasp. Now, they have been brought here by Molyneux, uh, impelling its wielder to this exact location. You see, there's something evil here, they're just not quite sure what. Then, we get a comedy break. This weird tourist drives up in his hoopty. And Giant Man tells him it's unsafe and suggests that, you know, hey, maybe go the other way. Take, a, take another trip. Now, this idiot isn't quite understanding this, and so Janet begins tap dancing on his head. The dude freaks out, and he pedals to the metal through a crowd of innocent civilians. Um, and, I mean, there's, like, no way he didn't just cause a bunch of injury and maybe even death here. I mean, he's driving directly through a group of people. I gotta wonder if the Balkans have a branch of damage control, and if so, I guess they can clean this up. Anyway, the tourist then reaches the civilian X-Men and pleads with them to call the police. You see, he was just attacked by a tiny woman, a giant, and a long-haired construction worker. Cyclops wonders if this is connected to Lucifer and sends Angel off to do a little bit of scouting. Now Warren removes his shirt, releasing his wings, and takes to the sky. He doesn't even bother to get into costume because, hell, they're far away. Nobody's going to recognize him here. Which is just another reminder that the world used to be so much larger, right? 
Now the tourist sees Warren take off and decides that he's just done. He floors it, probably driving directly off a cliff. Well, hopefully, anyway. We jump back underground. Now Xavier crawls toward Lucifer looking for some answers, and uh, old Lucy's got him. You see, he's got a giant thermal bomb. And I gotta ask, where do all these Silver Agers find their bombs? I mean, they're just bombs everywhere in the Silver Age. Anyway, this bomb, from what we hear, it's strong enough to blow up an entire continent. Doesn't really matter which one. We'll find out which one later. Uh, And here's the thing. The bomb is wired to Lucifer's own heartbeat. So, if his heart were to stop, the bomb would go boom. Lucy does a little bit of bwahahaing before focusing his energy into a mental directional impulse machine. Whatever the hell that is. Now, with this machine, he will hurl an ionic ray at Xavier's X-Men to kill them. The prof does a bit of astral projection rather than just telepathically contacting his charges to warn them that the ray is incoming, and he reaches the team right in the nick of time. Now, once the dust from this ionic ray settles, the X-Men get into gear, and we do get an entire page of Beast, Iceman, and Marvel Girl changing clothes. Now, in a weird bit, Jean nearly steps into a teeny tiny hole in the ground. Like, one that she could have easily stepped over if she wanted to. Like, I have very tiny dogs, and I'm, I'm sure they could have stepped over this hole, too. Now, Cyclops warns her that she's about to step right into this teeny tiny hole. And so, rather than, like, walk around it, or just recalibrate her step and step over it, she telekinetically picks up a very small log to sort of kind of cover the teeny tiny hole, which then she steps on to safely pass. I mean, I'm probably not doing this scene any justice here, but... Boy, I mean, we we thought she was powerful as the Phoenix. I mean, we never knew that she had this kind of power. Anyway, from here, Xavier warns the X-Men about his current Lucifer situation because, of course, no harm can befall his foe. Otherwise, this bomb's going to go off. Just then, Thor emerges from behind a tree. I'm not quite sure why he was, like, just lurking there. Maybe he's a secret pervert. I don't know. He's then followed by the rest of the Avengers. Now, the X-Men, knowing that Lucifer cannot be taken out, asks the Avengers to back off, because, you know, they've got this one. Captain America thinks that this is poppycock. After all, they're all on the same side, right? Also, you know, I mean, the Avengers probably aren't going to kill Lucifer, right? Probably not. Iron Man comments about how any time they run into other super teams, it's always kind of contentious, which cites a meeting they had with the Fantastic Four over in FF number 31. He doesn't mention having blown up an atomic bomb in the angel's face. So, uh, selective memory, I guess. Or maybe he was drunk. I don't know. Gene then warns Scott not to antagonize the Avengers, as Thor claims his hammer demands that the evil below be destroyed. So, okay, maybe they are here to kill Lucifer. Sorry. Uh, Now, knowing that this is not an option, Cyclops lets loose with an optic blast, which knocks Molyneux out of Thor's hand, then ricochets the blast into Iron Man's armored face. Cap then throws his shield at the beast, who catches it with his tootsies. His, you know, his barefoot beat feet. Unfortunately, before he can hurl it back, Giant Man picks him up by the scruff of his costume, and Beast tries to talk all smart to him, but Pym don't want to hear none of it. It's worth noting, Angel attempts to pick up Thor's hammer here, and so we quickly learn that he is unworthy. I mean, as if there were ever any doubt. Then the Wasp, since she's a girl, attacks Jean Grey because she's a girl, and does so by pulling her hair because they're both girls. Beast and Iron Man then kind of slam dance into one another, you know, butts first, kind of like a mosh pit sort of situation. Then we jump back to the down below. 
Here, Lucifer's watching the battle play out up above. I mean, all villains have monitors and cameras everywhere. We, we just know that, right? He comments how Xavier is smart to sick his X-Men on the Avengers in order to protect him. Now, while Lucy postures, Xavier lets loose with a mental attack which mind-wipes the baddie with surgical precision. Lucifer is out cold, but his heartbeat remains regular. So, everything's cool, right? For now, anyway. Up above, the battle still rages. Now, just as Thor is about to pulverize Iceman to bits, Professor X telepathically contacts him to explain the situation. Now, after coming to terms with the fact that there's a creepy bald man in his head, Thor understands why the X-Men were trying to hold the Avengers off. Thor orders an end to the hostilities and assembles the Avengers to leave the X-Men in peace. Now, this will also be Thor's last order as Avengers chairman because they rotate the position each week, and wouldn't you know it, Thor's time expired right this very second. Not that it matters in the slightest for this story. I don't even know why they're mentioning it. Now, with the Avengers thankfully gone, Xavier directs his charges to Lucifer's lair. There, Cyclops and Angel are to assist him in deactivating this thermal bomb, and that's exactly what they go about doing. Now, this bomb begins to throb a bit as Lucifer's heartbeat grows weaker. At this point, Xavier pops back into Lucifer's brain and hopes that he can stimulate him a little bit. And then he, and we, I suppose, learn that the thermal bomb is aimed at Antarctica. And when it blows up the frozen continent, it'll cause the entire world to flood. Xavier as Cyclops used the full force of his optic blast, but narrowed down to a 2mm beam in order to fire through a little fissure in this bomb to deactivate it. And, well, that's exactly what he does. And so the world is saved by the people they hate and fear. We close out with Lucifer coming to, and he claims that the thermal bomb took him ten years to build, and he swears vengeance. Xavier tells him to go eat a bag, but then uh, lets him leave without incident, because the X-Men don't cause harm, remember? Except when Xavier came at him with a pistol, looking to kill him not too long ago, like five pages ago. Anyway, that's where we leave it. That's the end of the issue. Next time out, perhaps the shortest episode of The Essential x Lapsed, we're going to have a Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch adventure in the pages of Strange Tales. But that doesn't mean we're done with this issue just yet. Let's hop into the letters page here. We've got a lot of letters. Um, we're going to start with Paul in Connecticut. He compares Marvel's output to a glorious four-course meal, while at the very same time complaining about Stan recycling the same villains over and over again. So, I mean, which is it? Uh, he suggests that villains should not return to a book for exactly seven and one-half issues. So, uh, okay, dude. Um, really not a whole lot to say about this letter, other than it's, uh, it kind of comes from a couple of different angles there. Uh, Christine in Ohio is a fan of Cyclops becoming leader of the X-Men and thought that that was uh, worth jotting down on paper and affixing a stamp to an envelope to inform Stan Lee about. Donald in Washington... Now, he agrees with an earlier letter hack that the X-Men should get their own costumes and not just the standard, you know, uh, blue and gold uniform. He likes the villains' costumes so much better than the X-Men's because they are uh, unique, right? He wants to see Xavier stop being the central focus of the book, and he really likes Cyclops in the deputy leader role, and I agree. I agree. I feel like uh, every time I revisit these stories, which isn't very often, as mentioned at the start of this uh, little endeavor here, I'm always shocked by the, how the focus is pretty squarely on Xavier for, for a lot of this here. Of course, the X-Men are in the field, but they're fairly ineffective, right? They kind of just bias pages, 
And then at the end of the day, Xavier comes in, mind wipes somebody, and that's uh, that's kind of how it ends. I mean, dude even made the the X Men's graduation all about him. He was a uh, he was the focus of the photo. <laughs> he was in the very middle where everybody was kind of behind him. And also, he announced that he was leaving right during it to kind of put a pall over the uh, celebration here. Just make it all about him. He's uh, kind of a jerk. From uh, I've heard that somewhere, I think. Now, uh, this fellow likes Jean's cat's eye mask much better than the head sock. And this is actually something that I, uh, a question that I posed on Instagram here. I'm trying to familiarize myself with that platform a little bit more because I... Really don't know what I'm doing with it here, but uh, I posed the question on my, uh, I guess they're called stories, about uh, about well, this very thing. How we're exploring the letters pages in these early issues, and some of the things that keep popping up. And one of those things is Jean Grey's headgear. And so I posed the question, what do you guys like better, the cat's eye or the head sock? And we had... After, I think, 40-something votes, uh, the Cat's Eye Mask won 85% to the Head Sox 15%. So that's uh, pretty crazy. And, you know, I agree. I agree. I like the uh, the Cat's Eye one a lot better than the Head Sock. I've always liked, like, Cyclops' Jim Lee costume, where, like, his hair is out. He doesn't have that sock on his head. I The Head Sock is just, eh, to me. I've never really cared for it. But uh, that, our friend Donald here, he likes the Cat's Eye Mask better as well. He continues with another one of our uh, letters page tropes here. Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch, should they officially join the X-Men? And he isn't sure. He's not sure. He suggests maybe making them honorary members, but not official members. Uh, he also suggests that the X-Men stay bi-monthly because he doesn't want to overwork Stan and Jack. So what a, what a guy. What a guy. And he says that Chick Stone is finally coming into his own as, a, as an inker of Kirby's work here. So uh, Chick Stone can uh, rest easy knowing that uh, Donald and Washington... Uh, Says that he finally came around to his style. Next up, we got William in Michigan. He says that issue 7 was the best yet. Now, he wants Professor X to make frequent guest appearances now that he's, you know, out of the book for good. Uh... (laughs) Now, he likes Gene's cat's eye headpiece as well. He wants Wanda and Pietro to join the X-Men as well. And he wants to see more mutants appear. He's okay with the Brotherhood, but would like to see a little bit more new. And, uh, well, yeah, you'll, you'll get a little bit more new. Not, not much new, but uh, you'll get a little bit more new for the next little bit. Next up, Kenneth in Virginia. He considers the X-Men to be Marvel's greatest creation, which, uh, yeah, I think I agree. Now, he thinks Cyclops is best as a leader, because, in his words, Angel is nothing but a glamour boy, and Beast is too grotesque. Wow, I mean, hmm, Beast is too grotesque, he's just a bigger dude. Angel is a glamour boy, yeah, I, I mean, I, I've never heard someone actually <laughs> call someone that. At least not uh, unironically, but uh, okay, I guess your point is well taken. Uh, he likes Cyclops' conflicted demeanor here. He's, you know, conflicted. He's He's got this great power, but he is... Uh, He's kind of scared of it as well. He kind of doesn't like the fact that he's got this very dangerous power. And he compares him to Mr. Fantastic and Spider-Man in that way. And, uh, yeah, I can't argue that. I mean, Mr. Fantastic was very conflicted about causing the Fantastic Four to have their powers. Especially, you know, Ben Grimm being the the rocky thing. You know, he he felt a lot of guilt over that. And, of course, Spider-Man's entire gimmick is predicated on guilt, right? The whole with great power deal. Uh, He likes the X-Men in their blue and gold uniforms. Okay, he uh, he is not a fan of changing up their costumes. He likes them in the blue and gold, but 
he wants to see Iceman with his friggin' booties back I don't know why this booty thing keeps coming up And uh, that's another thing that I polled the folks on Instagram on And we'll, uh, we'll talk about that maybe next episode or the episode after that When uh, I can better tabulate those results um, Next up, Steve in Illinois He wants to see more Magneto And Stan replies that this is definitely a minority opinion here And says that, you know, if this is the way they go with more Magneto Sure, they'll have a great book but they'll have zero readers Well, I mean, I guess they'll have one reader I mean, it, it stands to reason If you keep doing the same thing over and over again Less and less people are going to take part uh, You can take my word for that After 250-something episodes of X-Lapsed It's uh, definitely a thing uh, Kathleen in Kansas She wants Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch to join the X-Men So another vote in, in favor of that She doesn't like the Toad's costume Thinks it's too nice for such an ugly fellow Finally, she would like to see Namor taken down a peg or two And, uh, I mean, who wouldn't, right? Finally, we got Steve in Virginia Is that another Steve in Virginia? Oh, no, last one was Kenneth in Virginia Now, Steve likes Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch And he feels that they've already paid their debt to Magneto But, at the same time, he doesn't want them to join the X-Men He wants them to return to Europe and become crime fighters on their own Maybe get their own book or own little segment in a book He would especially like to see them rub elbows With other Marvel heroes So, um, Steve and Virginia If you're out there and you have never read anything past this You're gonna really be excited to hear Next episode, because that's exactly What we have Now that does it for the letters here Let's head into the, uh, the bullpen bulletins here The special announcements section Now Stan here poses some questions To the readership here Which is a really cool thing to do Especially since, I mean, we're going to see that uh, these questions that he's posing are genuine (laughs) It feels like he's actually taking the temperature of the readership here He wants to know if they should keep Cyclops on as the leader of the X-Men So that's the first question he poses here Also, in response to the somewhat contentious topic of costumes, he poses that question here He says, should the X-Men have separate costumes or continue in their blue and golds? So, another question Uh, He also wants to know if we want Professor X back, even in just a part-time basis. And I mean, I'm 60 years too late, but no, no, he could take a break. Um, He wants to know here if Iceman should get his booties back. So just fueling the fire there on the booty question. And then he goes on to give us a blurb for X-Men number 10 before remembering that he hasn't written it yet, which is adorable. He's like, hey, I'd like to tell you about X-Men number 10, but... uh, yeah, I haven't read it, written it yet, so I don't know what to tell you But it's going to be great It's going to be great A very, very Stan Lee thing to say From here, we've got our mighty, mighty Marvel checklist And we've got all the books coming out this month Including Fantastic Four number 35 Which features Dragon Man and Diablo Amazing Spider-Man number 21 Spider-Man vs. the Human Torch Avengers number 12 Maybe another book that Stan hadn't written yet Because in it, the Avengers are going to do something What? Well... You gotta read the book to find out Just below this we have a little bit of a typo It simply says, quote Fesser X gets back into action Unquote So I guess the X-Men blurb got clipped wrong here Thor 112 features Thor vs. the Hulk Strange Tales 129 features the Torch and Thing vs. the Terrible Trio And uh, Doctor Strange fights someone kooky Tales of Suspense number 62 Features the origin of the Mandarin And Captain America stopping a jailbreak Tales to Astonish 64, Giant Man vs. Atuma, and Hulk vs. the Leader. And Sergeant Fury number 14 features the Howlers vs. Baron Strucker's Blitzkrieg Squad. And that is uh, 
That is all the news that's fit to print for Marvel in whatever month this is. January, a cover date, I believe, of uh, 1965. That's the issue mostly cover to cover, minus the ads, which, uh, again, we might be uh, covering in some, in some form or fashion in the not-too-distant future. But for now, that's, uh, that's all we're going to do. And, uh, well, let's talk about this story a little bit. There really isn't a whole heck of a lot to say. We do find out a little bit about Professor X, right? We find out that Lucifer was the cause of his injury, which cost him the use of his legs, which is uh, different from what we originally had heard, where he was in a childhood accident. Don't know if that was just a, um, uh, you know, I mean, of course I know. (laughs) Stan probably forgot that he said that, or just had a good idea for a story to introduce a new villain, uh, and just needed a way to massage it into the story, hoping that, uh, or just assuming that only... You know, 40-year-old idiots 60 years later are going to remember that uh, the childhood injury was even mentioned in the first place. So I didn't really think quite as much about it as as I am, but uh, I guess that's my curse. Anyway, whatever the case, Lucifer really isn't, uh, he isn't the sensation that Stan and Jack might have hoped he would be. He only shows up, I want to say, less than 10 times between then and even now. (laughs) I think the last time he shows up was in a book that I I recently came across in the... uh, in the cheapo bin while trying to fill some holes from my ex-hiatus. Uh, the, I believe it was Astonishing X-Men Annual, where I want to say Professor X came back, but he was in, like, a cloned body of Phantom X? I mean, that sounds utterly insane, but I'm pretty sure that's the story. But yeah, I think Lucifer did show up in that, but he's not around very often. And honestly, how many stories can you tell with the guy anyway? Right, And I guess using the name Lucifer might be a little bit confusing, too, because I'm sure there's any number of demonic and uh, satanic characters who uh, who might want to go by that name who uh, this Lucifer would just uh, confuse the issue. So maybe he's more of an inconvenience than anything. He's also, you know, kind of boring. So stands the reason that we wouldn't see him all that terribly often. Now, this is the first confrontation between the Avengers and the X-Men. Now, of course, we know today they have a very storied... Friendship, rivalry sort of thing They've clashed before, they've teamed before uh, They were responsible for uh, Jobbing the X-Men in the Avengers vs. X-Men story that sent That kind of put the X-Men in the Backseat of the Marvel Universe for quite some Time and uh, I guess arguably uh, Still to this very day Are still uh, a step behind Where they ought to be because Well Marvel didn't have the movie rights So they had to throw their temper tantrum And make the X-Men look like crazy villains That uh, nobody could identify or empathize with Uh, Especially when compared to the virtuous And uh, blockbuster movie-having Avengers So this is the first time we see it And it's kind of a non-fight, right? It's a very, very brief little skirmish here The same, you know, we talked about this with the Fantastic Four We talked about this with Iron Man It's the Silver Age thing Where... Two teams or two heroes show up There's some sort of miscommunication Some sort of secret Some sort of mind control And, uh, well, it leads to a very brief skirmish And then ultimately a parting in peace and as friends Quite why Cyclops couldn't say Hey Avengers, um, sit down for a second We need to explain something to you You see, there's a bad guy underground Whose heart is connected to a thermal bomb That's going to blow up Antarctica And if they, if this guy is hurt, that bomb's gonna explode Instead of just doing that, Cyclops just blasts Thor And, and you know, hey, good on him Because he knocks Molyneux out of his hand I didn't know that was something Cyclops could do And I'm, I'm guessing Cyclops didn't realize it either But, uh, yeah, it's just one of those things Where most problems in the Silver Age Would be assuaged by just uh, communication 
just sitting down and talking or just standing there and talking, just saying, hey, this is why you can't do the thing. But then we wouldn't have had uh, Jack Kirby draw three or four pages of the Avengers and X-Men fighting. So I guess we take what we're given and... uh, well, that's about it. Um, other than that, not a whole lot to say about this issue. It was fun. Maybe not uh, something that'll rock your socks necessarily, but also not something that'll set them on fire. So a nice, safe story, perfectly fitting in with this era. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of fun discussing it. And I hope you all had a, had a decent enough time listening to me uh, stumble my way through it. So uh, now that'll take us to the end of the show here, where we do have one letter in the mailbag, and it's from our friend Doc Strange, Billy Dunleavy here. He's talking about X-Men number seven. Now in this issue, we had Beast and Iceman go to the Coffee Go-Go, where they met some uh, some uh, stoners and trippers and uh, weirdos and beatniks. And uh, he says, Street Poet Ray wishes he could be Bernard the Poet. Can you imagine Stan brainstorming this dialogue? I'm not Stan bashing here, I love the guy, but I'd pay to watch a documentary about his process for these Silver Age stories. Thanks once again, Brother Chris, and uh, thank you. Thank you for listening and writing in, and yeah, the the deep creative process behind um, writing about the barefoot beats and uh, all that trippy stuff here. It's really, really funny to think about, because I'm pretty sure Stan was probably in his early 40s at this point, so he was about my age. And he's writing about, uh, he's writing dialogue for, like, college-age kids who are into the beat scene and uh, into beat poetry and uh, hanging out at coffee houses and painting feet and probably a lot of hallucinogenics here. It would be like me writing, I don't know, in, like, text speak, you know? Do people still say fleek? Is that a word that people say? I mean, that would be like me writing that for someone, which feels... Ridiculously bizarre It felt really It made me want to vomit Just saying it So I mean I couldn't imagine Using kids these days words In telling a story So uh Seeing Stan do it Is is kind of uh Is kind of adorable And it's It's very very funny I would love to see How he's getting this information Is Is Stan hanging out At a At a coffee a go-go himself Just listening Is he doing the old Brian Bendis method Of people listening And just getting his uh Dialogue that way Or is he just looking at like a wide swath of humanity and just figuring, okay, this is how these people talk? (laughs) And I mean, you look at fiction, right? And how sometimes, sometimes real life influences fiction, right? Sometimes it's stuff that's in the zeitgeist or zeitgeist, however you say that word, that makes fiction what it is, that uh, informs a story and kind of guides a story through, you know, tone and vibe and uh, context gives context but sometimes it's the other way around right sometimes it's something that's written or born in fiction that becomes a cultural thing right this is something that reggie and i talked about a little bit i'm not sure if we made the air but when we covered street poet ray for the cosmic treadmill we were thinking like how much of beat poetry was informed by real life and how much of real life was informed by beat poetry you know, it, it's a weird chicken and egg sort of thing where if you write something that just captures the, the imaginations of people, it can in turn uh, affect and become culture. So it's, you got to wonder, like, all these things, all these little uh, niches like beatnikism, right? How much of that came from beatniks and how much of that came from people's perception of beatniks? 
I mean, taking it a step more into familiar territory for, for those of us who are into comic books, and I'm assuming if you're listening to this program, you probably are into comic books. How much of, and I hate saying comic book culture or, God help me, geek culture, but how much of that is affected by the perception of comic book fans, right? I mean, people have talked about Big Bang Theory, the, uh, the comic book guy on The Simpsons and stuff. How much is that affecting the way people view comic book fans? It's, I, I'm definitely thinking way too hard about this and uh, perhaps being a little too precious by half in doing so, but these are the things that, uh, that Reggie and I used to discuss a lot, and uh, your, your missive here, Doc, made me think about it. It's you know, Stan writing for this other generation that he, he, you know, he, he's not a part of. And how much of it is is actually informed by first-hand experience or second-hand experience or just him throwing darts at a board and saying, like, okay, this is what they'd say. And, I mean, I could go from here into a huge thing about Bob Haney over on Teen Titans, right? How much of his dialogue is just so whacked out. And you could never imagine a human being saying these words, but he thought they did. And maybe they did. I wasn't around back then, but... It's just silly stuff like that that really, you know, gets the brain percolating here. And it's uh, just another byproduct of how fun it is to revisit these Silver Age stories every once in a while. You you might not want to do it every day, you know, but uh, every once in a while I think they're good for the soul. That said, thank you once again for writing in, Doc. It really, really means a lot to me. Speaking of which, if anybody out there would like to get a hold of me, I'm easy to get a hold of. I'm easy to find. You can find me several different places. No matter where you is, that's where I be. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can find me on Instagram at 90sXmen, where you can even see that story about Iceman's booties, and you can vote. You can tell me if you like him barefoot or booted, and, uh, and we'll talk about those results you know, in a couple of days. You can call into the X-Lapsed hotline at 623-396-JERK. Uh, for blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can chat us up on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men, and you can find me there by my real name, Chris Sheehan. That's who I is and where I be, so you can find me there if uh, if you so desire. Finally, you can find the Chris and Reggie Comics Commentary Archive at chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available everywhere that the internet aggregates noise for your ears. And if while you're there you like what you hear, or at least appreciate the effort that goes into it each and every day, I would love for you to spread the word, share the show, maybe tell a friend or two, maybe drop a review if uh, you got a moment or two. I would really, really appreciate it. It would help the show. It would help me. It would make me feel a little bit less like I'm uh, wasting my life away. I'm kidding, of course, but uh, any help you can give would be very, very appreciated, and it would do my heart very, very good. Now, with all that said, I would like to thank you all so much for allowing me to be part of your day today. It really, really means a lot. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.